and welcome to this month's TGT podcast. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Clive Finch, the doctor-obsessed character we sadly and I think unjustly lost in 2005. But more on that later. Ben, what have we got coming up in the show? Thanks, Andrew. Well, in this show, we're going to be talking about Rose. We've got the latest news, as we usually do. Um, and we've got a friend of ours from Whovian Zamino, Ivan, who's going to be talking science and maths of Doctor Who later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. That all sounds great, Ben. So now let's get started with the news. In the news this month, there's some exciting things going on at Big Finish. The first series of Jenny, the Doctor's Daughter, was recently released with Georgia Tennant reprising her role as the Doctor's Daughter for four brand new audio adventures. That's available to buy from the Big Finish website. And coming next month is the second series of the first Doctor adventures starring David Bradley as the first Doctor. Also, the not-so-successful spin-off class will be returning as a Big Finish audio series in August with the same cast members reprising their roles. In other news, every episode of Doctor Who since 2005 is now available to watch on iPlayer. The BBC have put the episodes up to give fans a chance to re-watch their favourite new Who episodes in the build-up to Series 11. Speaking of which, rumours have been spreading that Captain Jack may be returning. This was after he responded to a tweet about the rumour with a couple of question marks. He later tweeted that he didn't mean anything by it and while he would love to return it's not up to him so it doesn't look likely that we'll see him back anytime soon. Um, ben, that takes us back to our April Fools, where we where we prophesied Captain Jack coming back, but um, do you think this is the final nail in the room, the rumour coffin, if that makes sense? Well, I don't know, because we did that as a bit of a joke, and then the rumour's sort of grown, so... I mean, we have got a history with accidentally predicting things when we did an April Fool's about the series being postponed for a year and then the next year it was postponed for a year. I was disappointed that Ray from Star Wars didn't become the companion though as a bit, but, <laughs> yeah. but then we had Bill which was fantastic. Yeah so um, I don't really know what to expect anymore but from the from the sounds of it I don't think he is coming back. So that's the news for this month. Okay, now it's time for something quite interesting. Um, A friend of ours from Hovian Zamino, who you may know as Dr. Pui, I think I'm pronouncing that right, um, he usually does posts looking at the science and maths behind things in Doctor Who, and he's kindly agreed to talk us through some of the science and maths that he's calculated from World Enough and Time. So, Ivan, take it away. Hello, I'm Ivan, and in World Enough and Time, one end of the colony ship was running faster in time than the other. This was because of gravitational time dilation caused by the gravity well of the black hole. So for the Doctor, who was on floor zero and thus closest to the black hole, he had a strong force of gravity from the black hole under him. So the gravitational time dilation was stronger for him than the other end of the ship. This meant for Bill, who was on the other end of the ship, she experienced time relatively faster than the Doctor, and thus she aged relatively faster. We can explain this by using a tower with two people. Both of them have a light bulb. One of them is on the top, and one of them is on the bottom of the tower. And the person on the bottom has a stronger gravitational force acting on them, and the person on the top of the tower has a weaker one 
because they're further away from the gravity of Earth. So both of them have a light bulb, and they can use this light bulb then as a way of measuring time by using its frequency. Frequency is the number of waves that pass in a second, and we can count it by the number of peaks that appear in one second. And we can say that each peak is a tick. So independently, for both of them, they should have the same number of ticks, if it's the same light bulb, and thus the time should be equal for the person on the top of the tower and the person on the bottom. But it goes a bit weird when a light ray from the light bulb on the top of the tower comes down the tower to the bottom and the person on the bottom measures the peaks because as things fall, they gain energy or transfer energy to do so. For example, a ball speeds up when dropped from a high building because it's converting the gravitational potential energy into kinetic energy. A light ray cannot convert this gravitational potential energy into its velocity because the speed of light is always constant at about 3 times 10 to the 8. And it cannot exceed that, so it has to transfer its energy somewhere else. One way to do this is to increase its frequency, because energy is proportional to frequency by the equation of E equals HF, where H is the Planck's constant. This means as the light ray comes from the top of the tower to the bottom of the tower, the frequency increases. This means that there are more waves in one second measured by the person on the bottom. And this means then that the person on the bottom sees the person on the top as experiencing time quicker than he does, because there are more waves, because the frequency has increased, and thus there are more ticks, and thus it's like a faster clock. And he can assume then that the person on the top of the tower ages quicker relative to the person on the bottom, and the person on the bottom is relatively slower, moving slower in time than the person on the top. And this is consistent with outward in Doctor Who, because in the Doctor moved slower in time than Bill. There is a formula for calculating the time in which you're not under the force of gravity, like the real time that has passed, which is equal to um, the time that has passed experiencing the force of gravity divided by the square root of 1 minus 2gm over rc squared. And g is the gravitational constant, m is the mass of the black hole, r is the distance from the mass, and c squared is the constant speed of light, 3 times 10 to the 8. Now we can actually use this formula then to calculate the mass of the black hole, because in World Enough in Time we see these clocks that says how much time has passed for floor 105 sets relative to floor 0. So we can assume then that the real time with no gravity must be equal for both of them. So the time for Bell divided by the square root of 1 minus 2gm over the distance of Bell from the black hole times c squared is equal to the time of the doctor by the black hole divided by the square root of 1 minus 2gm over the doctor's distance to the black hole times c squared. And we can rearrange this to calculate the mass of the black hole. And it turns out to be m, the mass, is equal to Bell's distance from the black hole times the constant speed of light squared times time for the doctor squared 
times the distance for the doctor minus the distance for Bill times C squared times the distance for the doctor times the time for Bill squared all divided by 2G bracket and the time for the doctor, the distance for the doctor minus the distance for Bill times the time for Bill squared close bracket. So I actually had to do it in stages on the calculator because I just couldn't do it all in one. And the time for Bill using those clocks was 31,539,111,806 seconds. Time for the doctor, it was 211,517. Gravitational constant of 6.674 times 10 to the minus 11. I calculated the distance from the end of the ship to the black hole. It was in one of the camera shots, because it says in the episode that the ship is 100 miles wide. So then I could use that ratio to calculate that it was about 250 miles between the doctor and the black hole. And I converted them into metres. So the distance at the doctor was 402,330 sets. And then the distance for Bill was that, plus the 400 miles, making 1,046,074 metres. And after calculating that, I found that the mass of the black hole in World Enough and Time is 2.7 times 10 to the 32 kilograms, which is about 135 solar masses. And that about makes sense, as it's a bit heavier than a stellar black hole. So I'd like to thank Ben and Andrew, and <laughs> it's been quite fun. <laughs> So this week um, we're discussing the episode Rose, which is the very first episode of New Who, and it came out in 2005. Ben, do you want to explain a little bit about why we're going to be discussing this? Yeah, well, the reason we chose this episode was because there were a bunch of target novelizations released recently um, of New Who episodes, and one of them was Rose, which I've just finished reading. Literally read the last page yesterday. Cool. So I thought it'd be interesting if... We looked at it, you talking about the TV show and me talking about the book, so we can compare them. Yeah, I've watched it twice, I've watched the episode. Um, before we go too much into it, I suppose we should actually tell them what the episode's about, just in case they haven't seen it. So, basically, um, the story centres on Rose, who's just a normal teenage girl working in a shop, and then all the plastic mannequins in the shop start coming alive, and the doctor saves her and blows up the shop. Um, and then... Basically, yeah, it's, it's just them two um, fighting the plastic aliens, which are called Autons, and they find out it's controlled by the nesting yeah. consciousness, and they track it down, and they stop it. So there's not really a lot going on in the episode when you say it like that. Well, you've just made it sound pretty traumatic, but um, it's, <laughs> I think it, there's kind of more complexity to it because the nesting consciousness yeah. is giving this thought control to they they kind of explain all plastic so you kind of wonder why you know plastic mm. cups aren't jumping around and things at the same time but <laughs> yeah i would i wondered that when i was reading the book i thought like right. there's loads more things made of plastic it seems to be only like because it mentions in the book um cause in the in the episode it's mainly the mannequins and like plastic toys whereas in the book it does say like um phone wires and um other plastic things are trying to yeah, kill people it's uh i don't know it's just very daring for for restarting doctor who um mm. but 
Um, talking of daring, I mean, bringing back the Autons as the first New Who monster. And, you know, they were in a few episodes before. Yeah. So it kind of had both things. It was focusing on Rose for new casual viewers and then also focusing on the Autons for classic viewers. So it's interesting that Russell T Davies named this episode Rose because I think the point is it's um, get, it's almost a Dr. Light episode, which is really, we've done a few that are Dr. Light episodes mm. but for the very first reboot um episode it's it's interesting that we get to see from a um a companion's point of view or a, a layman's point of view yeah what doctor who is all about i think that's kind of where he is going with it to not bombard people with a doctor and aliens and all that straight away i think it's it, it did it really well focusing on rose getting sort of very familiar feeling and then slowly introducing the doctor and then the tardis and aliens and stuff so it was a really good technique so do you think in the book it it seems like it was like a reintroduction to doctor who is as well as the tv version um not so much in the book really um if it was a series of books it would just follow on from the next one yeah so yeah there's not really as much sort of reintroducing everything it takes quite a while before the Doctor comes into it, but the very first word, and I'm not sure if it's the same in the book, is run. And, you know, yeah. we know that the Doctor loves running, but um, <laughs> yeah. is it is it the same in the book? Yeah, it is. And it cool. Was, that's kind of good because it kind of sums up New Who because it's a lot faster paced and there's a lot more action and literally running, so... Yeah, and it's really my first glimpse into Christopher Eccleston's Doctor, but... Um, he had bits of the other doctors, if that makes sense. And I think they all do. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you could see some of David Tennant's zaniness and you could see some of Capaldi's irrational anger at times. And, um, yeah, yeah, I think even though he only did one series, he's really good doctor. Right. Yeah. And I think as well, what, what, what I tend to forget is, um, there's quite a lot of humor in his doctor when you, cause you always seem to think of him as like the dark doctor is sort of the moody one in the, like all dressed in all black but actually he's quite he's really funny in that episode yeah i think some of that feeling that he's a moody doctor um comes from everything that happened afterwards and when some people started to form a negative opinion of that doctor for different reasons which were completely unrelated but once the doctor has um has kind of revealed himself and um uh, it's kind of a, that silly scene in the TV show. I have to say it's a bit silly, but when they're looking at each other through the cat flap. Yeah. So yeah, the ninth doctor was doing all sorts of um, silly things as well, like with packs of cards and stuff. And it, it, he made out that he'd read a book in like seconds. He says, flicked <laughs> yeah. through this book and said, sad ending, you know, um, he's done that a few times and I don't know whether, has he? whether it's, whether it's just a joke or whether it's actually, he's able to read it. Incredible. Yeah. Because it reminded me of um, a, there's a film that has Johnny Five in it. I know this is way off topic, oh, but short I, circuit. yeah, and um, <laughs> and he can read books at the speed of light. And I wonder if the doctor can. I think it's one of those things that it's just a joke, it's not something you should really read into. Well, excuse the pun, <laughs> but yeah, that this scene where the arm grabs him by the neck that they, they think they've defeated all those mannequins in the the autons in the shop but his, his christopher Eccleston's face goes so red i don't, I don't know if you remember <laughs> well that's the thing another thing in the book that's really expanded upon is um when they fall over and rose is lying on top of the doctor or the other way around and jackie comes in and starts having a go at rose saying like 
Uh, oh, okay. Essentially calling her a whore and saying you're jumping on the men. <laughs> what? Th- throughout, throughout the book, she keeps saying, um, like, re- reminding her you broke my bamboo table. And she keeps going on about <laughs> this table that they broke. Which is, is really funny. Because she doesn't mention it in the in the episode, but that's where the book kind of makes it a bit more realistic. Okay, so what, Jackie, is, am I right in thinking, you, I, I can't believe you used a certain word, but Jackie <laughs> walks in and she thinks she's seen them sort of getting it on. Is that what you meant? <laughs> yeah. um, right, okay, that's funny. Um, do you know what I thought actually was the scariest thing in this episode? And I, I don't know why I'm saying it this early on, but was <laughs> the um, plastic Mickey um, yeah. or the, the Auton Mickey. I, it, in the TV, literally in the um, TV version, it's just creepy, so creepy when he's got this kind of like uh, fixed grin, and I don't know what they've done to him, sort of with aesthetic uh, prosthetics or anything, if, if they have at all. But um, it's kind of really kind of scary. And then, of course, the doctor pulls yeah. his head off, um, which is scary as well. It does look so weird, and and the thing is, it shows that Rose isn't really concentrating on him because she doesn't notice. Whereas, I mean, I know. They've sort of exaggerated it so we notice, but yeah, you'd still think that Rose would notice. But yeah, that is creepy. And the the bit um, with the bin, you know, when the bin he flips inside him. Oh yeah, then, the wheelie bin. Then, uh, yeah, and then the wheelie bin burps, and everyone saw that as a bit of a silly, cheesy joke. Yeah, I had that written down actually. That I'd, yeah, because because it was sort of always seen as this really bad joke. I thought he wouldn't include it in the book, but he did, and he made like <laughs> he put a couple of lines about it. Which is weird because it's it's more of a sort of visual gag, so it doesn't really work that well in the book. He basically is enforcing his own joke there. He's saying, I'm standing by my joke. <laughs> yeah, which fair play to him. Yeah, that's because I, I was concerned when I watched it today or yes, yesterday and today um, that it was going to seem so, so dated because it's a long time ago now, 2005. And, um, but... Mm. You know they've got mobile phones and um, and <laughs> yeah. I suppose the Beetle car, the yellow Beetle car, that looks pretty cool and slightly antiquated. Yeah. Um, but they, I was reading that they had to because they filmed it in Cardiff. So much of Doctor Who is filmed in Cardiff, but they they took a London bus there and an evening standard van. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they used a London bus in Cardiff. Um, yeah, I know. I saw on um, I think it was Doctor Who Confidential ages ago when. You know the scene in when they're running across the Westminster Bridge, I think it is. Yeah. And there's two buses in the background, and they had to, um, like they did that shot a few times and sort of planned it so that the, the buses were actually going past at the time. Quite an iconic scene, though. Yeah, and of course they're trying to get to um, <laughs> the Doctor uses um, Mickey's the Mickey the Auton's plastic head to lock on to where the transmitter is, where the um, the Nestine consciousness, and basically it's the London Eye, right? The big circular um, mm-hmm. London Eye is the transmitter. The Doctor's trying to find it, and he he takes about four double takes before he realizes <laughs> yeah. that Rose is saying, "Well, there it is. Um, that's obviously what you're looking for." And um, so so that's kind of the, the there's a lot of humor in, in that scene there. yeah so that that's a really funny scene and i actually just reminded me i read earlier that they um they got permission to light up the london eye brighter than it normally would be at that time to uh right for that for that scene 
Yeah, and I, I read that they had a big budget for this. They obviously the BBC, you know, thought they had real belief in um, that Doctor Who could work again for them, and it was after a long time, right? Nineteen ninety six was um, was mm. that to two thousand and five. That's the big gap for Doctor Who. The sort of stuff the the money was spent on was some of the explosions, like the the glass that came out of the shop windows, and um, mm. that was all kind of for real, you know, like practical effects. But there was CGI as well. Um, I read one part about the the Auton costumes. Um, they all had kind of zips at the back of them, but they all had to be kind of edited out um, to make it more realistic, as it were. And and talking about the explosion, because this is quite a big bit in the book. You know, when she goes down into the basement to give the lottery money to Wilson. Yeah. That's got a whole chapter dedicated to Wilson at the start of the book. Oh, okay. It goes into this long story about how um, everyone was giving him a pound a week to put into the lottery money and he was going off spending it and he, was, he wasn't buying lottery <laughs> tickets. He was like keeping it for himself and like buying all these expensive things. And, and on the day that the explosion happened, um, one of the women won the lottery. She had all the numbers, but obviously he'd spent all the money and hadn't brought the ticket. <laughs> so they, they were going to find him out. But, look, well, I say fortunately... It wasn't fortunate for him, but it just so happened on that day he was killed, so no one ever found out that he'd been conning them all with the lottery. Yeah, the skullduggery of um, Wilson, is it? that? That's really great. That's, that's a reason to get the book, I think, to read yeah. that little backstory. Um, because, uh, yeah, the, and reading about where those things were set, that, that, le- that basement floor of, um, is it Henrik's, the department store where Rose works, yep. um, is, uh, is actually the basement of a Cardiff hospital I read um, mm-hmm. and later on when they go to see the um, the Nestine consciousness um, that's done in a paper mill a disused paper mill and I think they were given th- literally three days they they had a, a maximum three days to film in it and it had to be, all be done in a rush or something but um, mm-hmm. yeah just a few random facts Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I thought it was great, and I think um, I spoke to a friend recently because he'd um, happened to see this episode and um, talking about sort of favourite companions. I think you know yours is Romana, mine's Clara. Right, you know, rightly or wrongly, I know that's not um, everyone's favourite. But um, a friend of mine said he thought that Rose and Clara are actually quite similar, and um, I was trying to see what he meant by that, and um, I suppose. Rose does have that level-headedness and kind of uh, sort of balances the Doctor out a bit, if that makes sense. Yeah. Rose is trying to work out what her purpose is, you know, and she, mm. she so she decides to save the Doctor, right? So it's that same as in the name of the Doctor, Clara decides I was born to save the Doctor. But yeah, Rose um, sees the Doctor's in trouble and the only way he's going to survive that one is if Rose uses her bronze level um gymnastics <laughs> prize techniques to um to swing al- along that chain and um sort of knock out the autons that have got the doctor captured kind of reminds you that a lot of the time it isn't the doctor saving the day it's quite often yeah. it's the companion and like she ends up essentially killing the nesting consciousness because she knocks the antiplastic into the so essentially she's killed an alien yeah, so another interesting one, isn't it, where the Doctor doesn't go in there just wanting to destroy the um, the alien. He wants to negotiate with it, mm. um, and he, he sort of um, cites the Shadow Proclamation um, Convention 15 or something, I think it is, or something like that, yeah. some kind of law, um, and wants to negotiate. And they, they allude to the Time War. I don't know how much they do in the book, but 
Yeah, in the book he, um, you know, in in the next episode in the series, he tells Rose a lot more about the Time War, but that's right. kind of in the book. It it does it in this story in the book. He tells her all about the Time War and well, not all about it, but he tells her essentially the break, the basics of the Time War and his people and that. So it's introduced a lot earlier on. And when he's speaking to to the monster, the nesting um, consciousness, it's um, obviously only the Doctor can understand him, um, I guess because of the TARDIS being there. Um, mm. I think the monster's accusing him of uh, playing a part in his planet, in his own planet's destruction, and um, the Doctor's sort of arguing, I, I couldn't save your planet, and I couldn't save, I couldn't save any of them. And mm. of course, we then go to learn so much more when it comes to the day of the Doctor and. Uh, um, all about the time war and how that that whole passage of history is reshaped anyway and that's why it would be interesting to read rose now after they've done all of the sort of 50th special and everything similar to that um it because he's written this after so many years of the show being on after the episode was broadcast there's little nods to things that happen in the future so um when the city's been attacked by the autons and everything's blowing up there's a paragraph where it says, um, and a few miles away, a woman called Donna was lying in bed asleep, unaware of everything. Because okay. in the ep- cause in the, ep- in the series, when Donna travels with the Doctor, she says she she doesn't remember the Autons or the Daleks or Simon or anything. She always misses it, so which is quite a nice little reference. But I guess it's nice for people who've watched the series, but if you were reading the books and you'd never seen the series, it would be a bit confusing and as to why that was in there yeah definitely but it's uh, it's all part of the magic really i guess um when you when you've got a, a different something in a, in a slightly different format and again look at the future when they're in clive's shed we'll come to clive in a minute cause yes clive says names me but we'll come to him in a minute but when they're in the shed um and he's talking about the doctors in the tv episode he shows her photos of the ninth doctor and it's just the ninth doctor um, which apparently they did because they didn't want to confuse new viewers by showing them all different doctors. But yeah, in the book, um, he shows him, he shows Rose all the different doctors from like the first doctor, second doctor, all the way up to the ninth, and then it show it also introduces the eleventh and twelfth and thirteenth doctor. But then, which the bit the bit that kind of irks me a little bit is when um, after he's introduced those doctors. He then introduces a tall, bold black woman, which is alluding to a future doctor, um, and then a young girl or boy in a high-tech wheelchair, which, is, I don't know, it just seems like he's crowbarring in all the different sort of genders and uh, disabilities. Right. I mean, the the black woman is, you know, that one's fine, because there probably will be a black woman at some point. I'm I'm okay with the Doctor being female. I've come to accept that, and um, I know at some point there'll be different ethnicities, which is fine because you know it's it's a British show, but so many British people are different different ethnicities, so it makes sense. But the one that annoys me is saying the young boy in a wheelchair because a the Doctor probably wouldn't be a young boy because you know then he'd have trouble getting into places if he's under eighteen and like. It'd just be practically um, harder for him because he's smaller. And then saying he's in a wheelchair, the doctor wouldn't be in a wheelchair because he wouldn't have a disability when he. Re- you wouldn't, if you were regenerating, you wouldn't 
give yourself a disability and it would just make it so hard for him to get around and do stuff like the amount of running he does I, i know he could have a really fast wheelchair but like going upstairs and stuff it it just sounds so impractical and sounds so forced and yeah i i don't really agree with that to be honest i can I see i can see what you mean i, I suppose i could i would, would almost feel like counter arguing that in terms of like yeah, if, well it's just like you know perhaps russell t davies is um he's obviously been given the chance to rewrite his own episode if you know what i mean and um just to give any anyone at all the the possibility of or the imagination of they could be the doctor you know whatever whatever situation mm. and i don't know i mean i i totally get that you think that it should be um practical um but yeah i, I kind of like the thought that um russell t davies is kind of saying that anything can happen at all and it just perhaps mm. it would give someone who's in an unlikely situation a, a, some kind of hope if that makes sense it's nice that like you say he's giving anyone a chance to be the doctor but um another time he does something similar is um in the book mickey's got a group of friends um which he doesn't have in the series but he's got a group of friends and one of them's transgender and i think the other two are um gay or bisexual okay and again it just seems like he's sort of forcing it into the book um i don't know i think I, I, th- yeah. I know it's all rep- i know probably people are probably going to comment on this saying all negative things i know it's representation in that and it's good but i think if something's been established don't sort of go back and change it to suit current popular trends because back then it wasn't such a big thing so it it wouldn't really have happened and been on the in the See, episode that is possibly where i disagree with you because it it kind of those issues are big things and it's just that they were not um as openly talked about you know so but that, i mean there is some mention um when the doctor picks up that book in the uh, jackie's house um or a magazine or something he just flicks through it and there's two celebrities and he says well that'll never work out um uh she's gay and he's an alien or something mm. i think so that you know there's a there's a nod to um sort of like more cutting edge issues i think it's really important to say that those things do matter you know and i know you you feel that as well and yeah I'm, yeah I, I mean i want to make it clear i got nothing against it and i'm no, no completely my friends um some of them are um got different sexualities and transgender so you know i got nothing against it and i understand its representation but i personally just think i wouldn't have put it into an already established story i think you know write a new story and introduce new characters because then you could develop it like they did with bill when things are re remade i think um, they they just try and bring things up to date but as you say yeah bill um uh sort of really did um open people's eyes to a lot and that was what was so great about that and bringing things up to date and if you think about twice upon a time as well where they showed the um you know the sort of the first doctor's kind of victorian attitude almost yeah. so you could say Don't not victorian but <laughs> well but you know that joke about um if i hear that again young lady you'll get a slapped <laughs> bottom um that was just really and and yeah. it's and then she says to peter pack capaldi or the 12th doctor then says as i've always respected you or something that's just <laughs> so funny um but yeah times mm. change right i think that's the that's the lesson isn't it and um or mm. or uh, perceptions change and um people people you know learn and um come to understand better and so on mm. 
Um, but yeah, but I think we're veering off the, the other aspects yeah, of the plot. Let's get back of, to the story. I think something else I read was that they, when they finished filming Rose, the basic plot, um, the TV episode wasn't long enough, so they had to add like a almost ten minutes worth of. Um, oh wow! Yeah. And yeah, and the uh, one of the scenes they added was um, was the Doctor and Rose just walking, and I think it, it's possibly the scene where they held hands, which is meant to be you know pretty sig- significant, yeah, pretty that's symbolic. A, that's a brilliant scene. I can't believe yeah. they added that after. Yeah, and Murray Gold's music as well um, really comes into play there as well, because otherwise it's just. Uh, I mean, I love that line and i know they used it when they were promoting the day of the doctor but it's about he exp- he holds rose's hand and he explains basically explains he's an alien um and he says about how he can feel the earth moving at a thousand miles an hour under his feet and he can feel the earth spinning around the sun at sixty-seven thousand miles an hour or something i think those are the, the numbers yeah. and by holding his hat her hand i think he's sort of allowing her to sort of see that or feel that or sense that um, and yeah, it's kind of, so it gets to the end, and you you wonder why she's going to become his companion um, from then on. Um, and it's I think it's just him coming back in time. You know, the TARDIS reappearing that is the final. It, I found it a bit silly that uh, Mickey in um, was so kind of scared of the Doctor um, toward, mm. in the TV episode. At the end, I he was I kind think of you would be there. If you think about it, the first thing he saw of aliens was being captured by them in the bin, and then he was probably like tortured or whatever by the yeah. So he would be terrified. So fair enough, I guess so. I just that end scene where um you know they've come out of the that chamber where the nesting consciousness, it's the layer um and. Uh, but Mickey's sort of like hugging Rose's legs, you know, he's kind of like staring up at the doctor and kind of shaking like a leaf. And, um, but yeah, fair enough. He, you probably would be that frightened. And, um, and that's, uh, I suppose that's quite a good indication of Rose's nature. Cause she, um, she kind of, although there's this tempting world that she, she actually declines initially, right. She says, Oh, I've got to look after mm-hmm. him and I've got to be with my mom. And, but then when she goes off and she says to Mickey, thanks, and he says, what, for what? And she says, exactly, and runs off. Yeah. That's quite a harsh line, really. Yeah, because the word, it. the missing word is nothing, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, that's essentially what she's saying. But that's quite hard on Mickey. It's like he's never given her anything in the relationship or something. But yeah. but Mickey goes on to be quite a hardcore sort of unit marine or something, doesn't he, I think, eventually? Yeah, it go it works for unit eventually. Um, in the book, his again his backstory is expanded on a lot, and it talks about how his mum and dad and what happened there, and living with his nan, and then his nan dying. So you really get um a bit more of an insight into Mickey, and you kind of feel for him. You sort of grow to like him a bit more in the book. He's presented as a much nicer guy in the book. Awesome. And um, Mickey's very useful as well, as it were, in this episode because he's got the internet. And um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a, it's kind of, that dates it, doesn't it? The way she's, uh, Rose is searching on on the internet back in 2005. <laughs> yeah. But Doesn't um, she, she use like the phone line or something? <laughs> oh yeah, it's the phone line. But um, she's she's typing in, I mean, if you type in doctor into Google, you're not going to find doctor. <laughs> you know, well, well, you might actually, but do you know what I mean? But she's <laughs> trying to locate this strange alien guy. And um, I think the search she, she 
reaches Clive on, and we must talk about Clive. It's one of those we yeah. have to talk about Clive moments. But she types in Doctor Blue Box or something, doesn't she? Or, or mm-hmm. um, and it comes up with Cool Clive. Oh, and another thing I was going to mention. Um, you know when Rose goes on Clive's website, the website she goes on, whoisdoctorwho.co.uk, is actually a live website, and it's still on there. <laughs> that's cool there's loads of posts like relating to Doctor Who and different episodes and I think there's games and stuff on there I think you need Flash so I don't think um, it'll work on everyone's computer but yeah it's it, it's quite a dated website as well it's so good <laughs> to have a look through there's so much nostalgia that's pretty great I bet it's been hacked a few times. I bet it, I bet um, <laughs> there's been all sorts going on on that particular website. But I think Ben, now you've said that, you're going to have to put the link for it in the uh, in the website post. Yeah, definitely. Um, the the different instance where he's located the Doctor, and as you said, it's the in the book it shows the different faces of the Doctor, but in the TV show it's just the Ninth Doctor, Christopher Eccleston, and one of them's at John F. Kennedy's assassination. And I was kind of wondering if they put that in there because it's 1963 and that's when Doctor Who started, you know? Ah, it could be. That photo, though, looks so so obviously photoshopped. Yeah. That JFK one. No, very much so. And and then there's the... Basically, what Clive says to Rose is um, the Doctor has one constant companion and that companion is death. Mm. Um, And that's quite like a standout line. But, yeah, in the book... Um, again, it does go into Clive in a lot more detail. Um, and it talks a bit more about his family and how they've always sort of seen him as like, a bit weird for um, being obsessed with the Doctor. And it says how no one's ever like trusted him or believed him. And he's had people like Rose come before and not believed him. And it's, it's really sad. It's actually really sad. You've, like, cause he's such a nice guy. And obviously we know that he's telling the truth, but... Um, everyone in his life thinks he's mad and strange um, and even Rose like when Rose comes she starts to believe him and then she says he's mad and he's sort of it, the way it um, portrays it is he's heartbroken because he's like oh I thought I'd found someone who believed me yeah and it's just so, it's so he sad just does not deserve to die and this is the yeah. reason <laughs> this is the reason for the title of the episode Clive is so cool and the casting is brilliant because um, I had yeah. I just never seen that episode, but Mark Benton is the actor and he's, um, I've seen him in stuff, but I can't, you know, necessarily name, I mean, a few adverts yeah, and things. he's but, one of those actors, isn't he? You know. Yeah. Um, and he's got that real friendly sort of, um, uh, <laughs> and just a really cool, cool vibe to him. Um, but, and so I was really chuffed to see him. And then, um, yeah, it's just really harsh because he's got a wife and um, two kids and late, he's in the one of the shopping centres later when the plot activates. He's one of the first victims of the of the Autons. Mm. Um, and you just think that's such a shame because, you know, I mean, that's 2005, but <laughs> Clive, we've talked about um, other characters that um, have never made it to big finish, but don't you think Clive would be a brilliant um you know, yeah. sort of to do some spin-off stories of Clive sort of researching the Doctor, yeah. you know. I mean, imagine him getting a job at Unit. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. Bring back Clive. Yeah, a Unit researcher. We've got to make this happen. We'll, yeah, we'll get in touch with so. Mark Benton and try and make it happen. Uh, that would be, that would be, I think that would be justice. I think, that, you know, I mean, yeah. we did 
dedicate this um, episode to the memory of of um, Clive, but I think we need to uh, reinvent and re- rejuvenate and um, and resurrect Clive. Basically, that's yeah. what we need to do. I mean, in the book, in the book, it really um, again leading up to his death, it sort of paints him as such a lovely guy with his family, and he's, he's treating his family to um, a sort of rare meal or occasion like they don't have a lot of money and he's treating them and it's sort of really nice and then the autons start attacking and the reason he dies he could run off but he says to his wife and kids you run off you get to safety and i'll stop them even if it's just for a few seconds oh okay it's such a heroic death yeah you don't see that in the tv show you see you don't all you see is like him sort of blundering into um into (laughs) getting mixed up with the autons but um yeah that it sounds like the book does him a bit more justice yeah but you'll be pleased to hear his wife and kids survive so yeah um but in the absence of clive but yeah um it's it's there is a sadness to it um (laughs) And uh, you said about mentioning that he was, um, you know, so nice and um, about sort of, uh, he says at one point in the episode, um, they're walking through the shopping mall and he's, um, I think obviously his wife's enjoying sort of doing some shopping and he said, he's saying, um, I mean, it's no good doing a spreadsheet. You can't spend summer money in the winter (laughs) or something like that. So he's just concerned (laughs) about his family and he's just wanting, you know, uh, but he's also got that obsession about the doctor and, um, and so, yeah. Um, it's pretty cool but it it is great I mean Rose is a great episode and it's a great reintroduction to Doctor Who for basically a whole new generation wasn't it I guess yeah definitely okay so um, we've managed to um, ramble around talking about Rose Um, wish we could have done it a little bit clearer for you but definitely recommend watching it or even getting the target novelisation but in in, um, tribute to our dearly loved character Clive from Rose Here is a song dedicated to Clive from Ben. You welcome complete strangers to your home. You let them in and never question why. You offered them a cup of tea and a side plate of insanity. Now you're in the big shed in the sky. Showed them all the evidence you'd found Of the doctor and his many lives They all thought that you were mad And in the end it left you sad And now you're in the big shed in the sky off to buy them time You sacrificed your life to save your kids and wife and now you're in the big shed in the sky 